0: Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Mark, chapter eight, verses 27 through chapter nine, verse 13. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that I am? And they told him John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in glory, in the glory of his father with the holy angels. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Hello, Grace DC and friends. Pastor Glenn here, Happy New Year to you. I don't know what your experience was New Year's Eve. Ours was pretty quiet. But for the last few minutes leading up to midnight, we did tune into the networks and what a strange experience that was. Uh, Instead of seeing a million people in Times Square seeing just small clumps of socially distanced folk waiting for the ball to drop, the networks doing their best to celebrate when everybody knew what was felt was good riddance 2020. And of course, that's what the uh, slogans and t-shirts reminded us of. Maybe you were familiar with some of these. The only thing I gained in 2020 was weight. 2020 is like looking both ways while crossing the street and then getting hit by an airplane. And then the five-star Amazon rating uh, is used one-star 2020. I would not recommend it. I saw another what was just simply a dumpster fire with 2020 written over it. And of course, the king of all the slogans was death to 2020. Poor 2020. No one has been more eager to see it go. No one has despised it more. And we might say for good reason. It has been a tremendously difficult year, a year of great stress, a year of great pain and loss. It's something that all of us in our heart of hearts would like to see less of one day ultimately eradicated. But one of the ways we try to manage um, this disappointment in the common way is to just look to another year, to the next year. But imagine a year ago doing that. Imagine having come through a tough 2019 and hanging all your hope on 2020. Well, it would be crushing, wouldn't it? It would be like trying to hang a 4K HD flat screen by a thumbtack. It's going to fall down. But there is a hope that we find in our passage for persevering on. But it takes a strange and even shocking form, the form of a cross, which we're called to carry. Now, most modern folk, when they think about carrying a cross, probably think about putting on a necklace, but it might be more apt if you're envisioning a necklace to envision uh, the chain that Frodo had to wear with the ring of power or Ron had to wear with the dark Lord's horcrux. A dreadful thing, a terrible thing. This is how Jesus' disciples would have understood the idea of carrying a cross. Now the cross was a common practice used in the Roman world to deter crime. They would publicly execute criminals by hanging them on a cross and leaving them there for several days until they just uh, succumbed to exhaustion. And while the Romans weren't the first to practice crucifixion, they were known to have perfected it. One of the things that they would do is have the convicted person carry part of the cross, a hundred pound crossbeam. And so that you would watch this person stumble and stagger step by step, carrying the instrument of their own death. At this point, you might be saying, thanks, Glenn. I'm glad I tuned in. Uh, What a ray of hope this is. Uh, How does Jesus mean that this could be a good thing at all? Well, you know, sometimes a dream has to die before a future can live. Sometimes uh, you have to get your mind around something that would seem uh, almost intolerable, that you might find something that can give you hope that you've never known before. And that's the cross, because the cross ultimately carries, as we carry it, it ultimately carries mercy and it carries glory. And those are the two things we're gonna look at. And I wanna remind you every now and then to uh, open up the Bible to the passage that you might be able to follow along uh, with us as we read. First of all, the idea that the cross carries mercy. Now we pick up the narrative where Jesus and his disciples are traveling about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee where they spent a lot of time. And like us, you know, a long walk is a good opportunity for deep conversation. And Jesus especially would like to deepen the conversation about who they think he is. And that's what he asks them. But he asks them in an indirect way. When I would work with uh, junior high students, I knew if I just flat out asked them, do you ever feel sad or do you ever feel, do you ever feel insecure? I would get no answer. But if I said, do your friends ever feel insecure? Do your friends ever feel sad? The answers would come pouring in, right? Because it's easier to talk about someone that's not us. And so Jesus wisely, maybe this was his purpose, says, who do other people say that I am? And the answers come. One person says, well, some believe that you were a revived, come back to life, John the Baptist. That was King Herod's view. Others believe that you're uh, the prophet Elijah come back because Elijah was taken before he died. Others say one of the other prophets. And then Peter answers as the spokesman for the group because Jesus is addressing them in the plural. He's saying, what do you all think? And Peter's answer is like a ray of light that breaks through dark clouds. He says, you are the Christ. Now, this is a watershed moment. You are the Christ. What is he saying? That you are the long-awaited, Messiah, King of God. Matthew gives us a fuller response. He's, uh, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, to which Jesus then responds, blessed are you, Simon. Why? Because you're so smart and the disciples are so smart. No, for flesh and blood, that is your own doing, hasn't re- revealed this, but my father who is in heaven. Jesus is ultimately delighted Because God has graciously taken off the blinders of their eyes and let them behold who he truly is. And in that moment, uh, he then takes advantage. It's a no turning back moment where he reveals to them now his fuller role in mission. He goes on to say that the purpose of the Son of God coming to earth and becoming a real person and living for 30 plus years, the purpose was that he might be humiliated, tortured, suffered, and crucified, and then rise again. Now, for those of us on the other side of Jesus's coming, other side of the cross, it's really... um, near impossible for us to grasp how disruptive this comment was that Jesus made. I mean, it was like a 9.0 earthquake, totally crumbling the worldview and expectations of these disciples, and not just the disciples, for Israelites for thousands and thousands of years. I mean, since these guys could walk and talk They were schooled in the fact that the Messiah, God's king, would come as a military and political victor, and he would defeat Israel's enemies, and he would deliver them into a golden age. And it wasn't like this view was unfounded. You found it in the Psalms and the prophets, where it would talk about the great things that the Messiah would do, the great acts of deliverance, the great acts of conquering that they would do, the prosperity he would bring. But, you know, um, their problem, like us, wasn't so much false belief, but incomplete belief. Um, You might think of uh, a scenario where um, a parent says to the kids, kids, we're going to get ice cream, and they just go berserk. But then the parent also adds, after we clean your room, after you clean your room. And the kids only here were going to get ice cream, right? They heard nothing about after you clean the room. Well, as the disciples would read the scripture along with Israel, what they would hear was the victorious news, the good news. But Jesus's identity was also developed from the scripture. In fact, that's where Jesus got his self-identity. He knew the scripture. And he knew that the prophecies not only spoke about a mighty God who would rule and reign forever, but also about a suffering servant who would be oppressed, afflicted, and rejected. He knew not only of the Messiah's work to be those that would uh, open eyes and heal and liberate captives, but also a Messiah who would be pierced for the transgressions of his people. And so Jesus must now drill into the disciples' mind and heart this aspect of why he came. They must understand it. Maybe that's why Mark tells us that he spoke to them plainly. And after this point, every time Jesus makes a major prediction of his suffering and rising, he then goes into a teaching block because he understands this is foreign to the disciples' worldview. But they must get it. They must understand it. But their initial response As much like ours is when we hear there's another strain of COVID. No, it can't be no. And Peter pulls him aside in verse 33, and we're told he sternly corrects Jesus. He rebukes him. And Jesus then offers some of the strongest words he ever says to the disciples. He says, get behind me, Satan. And we're told he looked at the other disciples when he said it, because, again, this was sort of a group attitude they had. He was addressing the entire group. And by that, Jesus isn't saying that Peter is the devil or the disciples are the devil. But he, rather, he's saying uh, sin and your own selfish ambition have hijacked your mind and your thoughts. And so it's a sobering moment for them. As it is for us. I mean, one moment they are the honor students and now they're being sent back to General Math 101. Jesus calls the crowds together and instructs them all together. It's no more just he with the disciples. They're on the level with the crowds. And Jesus calls the crowds and he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And here, beloved, it is critical that we understand the connection between what just happened and why Jesus is teaching this. What just occurred in the content of his teaching? Why would Jesus bring forth his teaching now? Because he perceives a great spiritual danger, and that is his disciples' resistance to his humiliation and suffering deep down is resistance to their own. It's not out of love for him or protection. It's actually out of self-love and self-protection that they object this. This is why Jesus follows by warning them about trying to gain the whole world to have everything now. And that's something that we know and feel our own temptation about. And we know this is true because just a few paragraphs forward, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to sit on the throne next to Jesus on his right and his left when they come into this political kingdom. This is what's on their mind. Jesus understands his death is a roadblock to their ambition. And the cross continues to do that in the lives of people. I mean, the cross of Jesus Christ puts up a roadblock to our dreams and ambitions, and it asks us some uh, perceptive questions. You know, the disciples needed Jesus to be a winner. They signed up for a win. They signed up for glory. I was reading recently about some of the research of why we tend to idolize or what's called celebrity worship. For maybe you, it's a An artist, a designer, a politician, an athlete, uh, whoever it would be. It's ironic. How do we refer to it? We say that we follow them, right? Uh, We follow them through their tweets and their posts. And acclaimed director, Martin Scorsese, was reflecting on this. And he said that fans love what they imagine celebrities to be because it represents a dream actually represents the, flan, uh, the fans' dreams and desires. Now, the celebrity, by their own making or our making of them, represents, symbolizes the deep aspirations and dreams. Maybe it's we want to have the body that they have, the image they have, the love, the adulation they get, the power they have, the praise they have, the talent they had. The idea of a victorious military uh, Messiah was really just a symbol of what the disciples wanted deep, deep down. They didn't want to carry a cross. They wanted to sit on a throne. They wanted success. Now, it poses, I think, a, a good reflection question for you and I. The disciples missed what Jesus was about, because they were focusing just on one aspect of what the Messiah would be. And you and I ask the same question. We must. How is it that I might focus on one aspect of God to the exclusion of others? And in so doing, it reveals something of my deeper desires. Maybe it is that, you know, I love to really focus on the grace of God, not so much the holiness of God. But perhaps the reason is because there's something that I don't want to give and I want to hold on to. And I can use it as a sort of an easy grace to excuse myself for not repenting, for not dying to this thing that is uh, not pleasing to God. Or maybe it's the opposite. You love to major on justice and righteousness because deep down you feel pretty good about yourself. You feel like you measure up pretty well, and it actually gives you the grounds by which you can be critical of other people. Or it may be that uh, you love to focus on how accepting God is, how loving is, that he wants to bless people. Ultimately, maybe it's because you need to be happy in this life. And so it's really important to you to have a God that wants everybody to be happy. Or if you focus on just a God of compassion and comfort, it may be because you want a life of comfort. A life that isn't shaken up. One theologian has said the church begins with a martyrdom. That's the death of Jesus. The church begins with a martyrdom. So we might not mistake what Jesus is asking for. Now, why is he asking? It is it because misery loves company and he wants us to suffer along with him. Is it because he wants us to pay for our sins? Nothing could be further from the truth, friends. It's because of his mercy. Because the cross ultimately carries mercy to us. Let me just mention two ways. First of all, the mercy of being delivered from a false sense of righteousness. Now, it's common in our day uh, to talk about, quote unquote, the haters, right? And the haters are always this group of people over there. That essentially disagree with who, you know, what I'm about. Uh, There's this group that's worthy of being canceled. They're over there and I'm over here, right? Well, uh, the idea of Jesus only as a military and political deliverer afforded the disciples that luxury where they could say, "Uh, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to deal with the haters over there and not us because we're in the good camp it would forget that enmity actually goes deeper than just political allegiance. The Bible would teach that enmity toward God, hostility toward God, is ultimately sin. It can be found in envy. It can be found in gossip. It can be found in just, um, you know, this trenched in disappointment with God that just holds it against him. And we need to remember that on the cross, when Jesus said, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing, it wasn't just to Rome and the religious leaders he was speaking. He was speaking to all sinners. He was speaking to everybody. And so the disciples have to understand that the reason the Messiah came isn't ultimately to preserve their sense of self-righteousness. It's to teach them. The cross was to teach them they needed atonement. They desperately needed the forgiveness of God because they, in their sin, were haters against things that are good, true, and right. And my dear friends, even the best of us falls in that category. You and I must understand the cross speaks a word to us. It humbles us. It says, do you see that you on your best day are desperate for God's gracious atonement? You need a savior to ransom you. Mercy of the cross brings a death blow. Humility is the fruit of the spirit. The only way you truly become humble, and not falsely humble, but truly humble, is through an encounter with the cross of Christ and the grace of God. But the second thing is the cross, in the way it carries mercy, delivers us from false hope. In a sense, the disciples felt like they just needed Jesus, the Messiah, to make some good God tweaks to life. And then they could be satisfied, right? It, it was a they just needed him to kind of do this and do that, and then life would be pretty good. And maybe we feel that way too. We would say, God, you know, if, if you would just end this pandemic, if I could just start dating again, if I could have a better job, if you would just like the let the new administration come in, if you would just bring back the old administration, whatever you think. If I could just have these things, then I would be satisfied. If you could just uh, be that sort of king for me and just tweak life for me, then I'd be happy. I'd be satisfied. And essentially what we're saying is, God, what I do is I, I, I want you to bring reform to my world, but not reconciliation between you and me. The disciples had to learn that the biggest work they needed wasn't for Jesus to set up a political kingdom so they could have power and freedom and comfort, as as important as those things are. The most important work is they needed reconciliation with God, just like you and I do. You and I ultimately don't need God to fix our world. We need him to fix our state with him that we might be united to the one for whom we were made. Uh, An early church father uh, has this to say, and I think it's helpful. Um, And you can follow along as I read. While there is much in the world to love, it is best loved in relation to the one who made it. The world is beautiful, but much fairer is the one who fashioned it. The world is glorious, but more delightful is the one by whom the world was established. Therefore, let us labor as much as we can, beloved, that the love of the world as such may not overwhelm us and that we may not love the creature more than the creator. The cross brings mercy in those ways. But lastly, the cross also carries glory. If you look at verses eight and nine, Jesus speaks of a day that will come when he will come into the glory of his father's kingdom. Uh, One of the things that theologians talk about is uh, Jesus's time on earth is referred to as the time of his humiliation, not only because he uh, wasn't seen for truly who he was, his servant status, the way that he suffered, but also the way he was shamed, even though he was sinless and glorious. And when he rises from the dead and ascends to heaven, this begins his state of exaltation. And the temptation for you and I is we want our life to be... Exaltation now we don't really want that precursor of carrying the cross of a time of quote unquote humiliation, and I don't mean that in a you know a way that's unhealthy but a, a humbling we want exaltation now, don't we but this is the day that we carry our cross, and our crosses look different for you, it might be. You stagger and stumble every day with your body, the way it hurts you, the illness that you bear day in and day out. And it is so hard, so difficult. Or it may be for you, the cross you carried is a disquieted mind. Uh, deep shadows of despair and depression that just keep coming back. You're free of them, but then they come back, just like the weather changes. Or maybe it's a mind you just can't turn off. Maybe the cross that you're carrying is the cross of unmet desires or unwelcome desires, desires you feel like you're constantly pushing off. Or maybe the cross you carry relates to unjust relationships, a critical boss, A critical parent, a betrayal that you experienced, or maybe it's it's, the cross is just uh, an experience of lack of empathy, where you're not understood. Maybe it could be in the area of your experience as a minority in a majority culture church. You feel like just when someone seems to understand, I hear something where I feel like I'm just not known at all. The cross is not easy. It's a painful thing, but in it, there's a glory that God brings to us, that Christ brings to us. First of all, the fact that he bears it, it brings a glory of empathy. You see, if God would have only given us a Messiah who was a victor and a conqueror, we would never have the company we need to walk the journey we have, the crosswalk that he's given us. Instead, we're told that Jesus is the epitome of empathy. We're told in the scripture that uh, he was uh, well acquainted with grief. We're told that Jesus was tempted and tried in every way. You see, the cross in many ways is just a culmination of Jesus' suffering. He had a lifetime of every sort of suffering or every category This was the plight of the Son of God and uh, his book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland says that while Jesus had zero sin, he experienced countless temptation and trials. And this means that uh, the deeper into our weakness and suffering we go, the deeper his solidarity is with us. The deeper that you and I, uh, the deeper that you and I deal with our pain and anguish, the deeper that we go into the very heart of Christ. It may be that um, you've had the experience of true empathy where someone who lost a parent or had a sick child or knows what it's like to live with poverty or someone that has dealt with some sort of grief, some sort of addiction, that they listen to you and you know they understand you. They have the grounds to say to you, I get it, I understand. That's Jesus Christ. He has been a well-tested high priest. Whatever grief and cross you carry, my friend, Jesus can look at you square in the face and say, I understand. I've been there, I get it. This is what a cross-carrying Messiah gets us. This empathy, we don't have to bear it alone. His empathy envelops us. It consoles you and me. But second of all, it carries the glory of exaltation. I had mentioned the idea of uh, humiliation that stage. But for God's people, because everything that Jesus went through, he went through for us. Ultimately, when he was talking to his disciples about the day of the kingdom, he was giving them a hint of the glory that they could experience that they might understand. And uh, he says, some of you, are, you know, won't die before you see it. That could be his resurrection. It could be in the next chapter where he will be transfigured. He'll pull back the veil of human flesh and he'll see the light of his glory just for a few moments, Peter, James, and John. But either way, for all followers of Jesus, there's this promise of glory. And you and I, again, you know, we're we're tempted to not want to pick up that cross. Uh, We're we're tempted to say, I'm putting it down or I'm leaving it there. Now, sadly, when we do, it actually has an ill effect upon us. You know, what causes us to be people that feel like we're mastered by envy or mastered by anger and bitterness or mastered by despair or mastered by, you know, hatred, whatever it would be isn't actually leaving the cross on the ground. It's a failure to pick it up because it's that cross that begins to deal with those things. It shines a bright light on those things. And in that bright light, we see not only the compassion, the empathy of the Lord. We see the atonement by which he sets us free. We see the way that the power of that sin has been broken over us, where we're actually free to live in a new way, but also we see what's coming around the corner, friends. We don't need to be looking our hope for the next year or the next year, because there's a day coming, the Bible calls it that day, when all our hopes will be met. And and listen to just a few things Jesus says about that. This comes from the book of Revelation. He says to the one that conquers, you'll be eat from the tree of life and you also will be spared the second death. What is he saying there? One that you can live now. The glory that the cross will give you is no fear of death. Even in a time of pandemic, there ought to be in Christians a quietness. Yes, we do everything we can for the sake of our neighbor and to foolishly risk. But ultimately, we have to have this confidence that death will not take Anything from me, it will only give to me. And what it gives, Jesus says, is indestructible life, abundant life, the tree of life. it's this idea of eating from all the fruit of everything that's good and beautiful and right, everything that God intended for us. He goes on to say that those that carry the cross to the end will be clothed with white garments, confessed before the Father, and never cast out from His presence that you and I will never have to deal with the stain and shame of sin again. I don't know about you, but the longer I battle my own sins and my own lusts, my own desires, my own frustrations, I just go, Oh God, for the day where I'll no longer be carrying this. Well, he already sees us in that day through Christ. For those that put their trust in Christ, they're seen as holy and blameless in his sight. But now what he sees and what is will become real clothed in white, his people, and he will confess them before the Father in all of heaven, saying, I am not ashamed to call this one my brother and sister, and you will never leave his side. Never leave his presence. There are no third wheels in heaven, an intimate son, And then he says, for those that persevere and carry the cross, you'll be a pillar in God's temple and my name will be placed upon you. The temple is the meeting place between God and man. That means unbroken fellowship with God. That part, the thing that you and I experience with there are times once you come to know God through Jesus Christ, everything changes. And one of the ways you can tell you've come to know him is you have these experiences where his presence is there and it's so sweet sweet. And it's so you're awestruck and it's beautiful and it's life giving. But then it goes. <laughs> right. We live in an already not yet. We, we don't get to live in that unbroken. Uh, God is present, but our acknowledgement, our communion with that. Well, we waver, we wax and wane. But he says not only that, but your name will be placed on you. That powerful, strong name of Christ placed upon his children. And you will live in the holy city. That means we won't just live us to God, but we will live in perfect communion. Uh, This pandemic has made me more than ever. And many of you have said this long for the gathered people of God together. Long to taste the communion. It may be that we never take it for granted from now on. I, I pray so. But here he talks about living in the city of Shalom. No more the city of heartbreak, the city of oppression, the city of violence, the city of coldness, none of that. And then he says he will give the morning star to us. You know what the morning star is? It's him. It's the king giving himself to us, saying, I am yours. I am royalty for you. And as if that's not enough, you know, on top of that, he's going to throw in a new heaven and a new earth. So there's good reason that Paul would say, no eye has seen. It hasn't come close to behold. No ear has heard a whisper. No heart, no heart has imagined all the desires you and I keep, ima- no heart has imagined what God has prepared for those that carry their cross because the cross carries with it glory. And my friends, we can carry it into next year. We're not looking for a crossless 2021 or a 2022. I I pray that Jesus would come back tomorrow and and eternity would begin, that would be great. But our hope isn't looking for that sort of future. We know there'll be a cross there, but maybe what we'll know newly is the mercy and glory that the cross carries. And I have to wonder when we get to eternity, maybe they're gonna be a whole different set, alternate set of t-shirts from 2020. And maybe they'll be surprising to us. Maybe it'll be a t-shirt you're given that says, uh, you know, not so much, uh, you know, death to 2020, but 2020 surprisingly brought life to me. I found that I needed God more and I had more intimate times with him. I was more desperate for God and he came near me. I might find that he helped conquer my fear of death. I might find that he helped me uh, work harder to be in relationship with people. It wasn't as easy. It might be that he increased my heart for justice during 2020 and my empathy for my brothers and sisters that live under injustice. It might be that 2020 will have been a banner year, a banner year for how you've grown in your love for the church that God has saved. You know, there's a different story for those that carry their cross. And so 2021 will be a banner year for followers of Christ. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus, for coming as a crucified Messiah. We know that you will next come as only an exalted Messiah, but it means everything to us that you walk the path before us. I pray for each of us, and I pray especially for anybody listening today that feels like 2021 is just going to be more of the same, a dark cloud. I pray that you would reveal yourself just as you opened up Peter's eyes and the disciples' eyes. Would you open up eyes now? And we trust you to do that because of who you are. In Christ's name, amen.